only one time so far has our home ever been broken into. I don't know, how many have ever had a break-in in your home? Let me see your hands. Anybody? Anyone? One, us, two, okay. Well, it's, it's actually terrifying. And you get so angry that somebody would do that. But you know what's worse than that? Actually inviting the thief in and letting him take advantage of you. And that's what Paul was worried about when he is writing chapter 2. He's writing that Christians in the day were allowing false teachers hustlers, to rob them of what they had in Christ. So, Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is getting down to business. Chapter 1, he lays uh, a strong foundation of who Jesus is and who the Messiah is. And now he gets down to business. Um, he's, he's, he loves winning people to Christ. He loves going to the marketplace and convincing them that the gods of Zeus and Olympus and and Rome, and, and the gods of, of history, and the gods of, of mythology were all lies, and were all dead. And um, the only God who ever became man, and then died and rose again, was Jesus Christ. And he loved just turning the world upside down. But he had another part of his ministry, which was warning. And that is, listen, a church that doesn't speak both sides of the coin, sometimes encouraging, sometimes warning. If a church will not Name sin, and if a church will not confront what is wrong, then that church is out of balance, and that church is on its way into um, into apostasy. It may take decades or whatever, but if you won't deal with sin, it's just like politics, if you won't deal with corruption, it will destroy the government. So, Paul says, I've got to warn about false faiths, false Christs, and false gospels, and he does throughout the New Testament is a, is a constant warning. So Paul expresses four things in this chapter. One, he talks about his worries, and he says that to, to the Corinthians. He says, I fear several things about um, their, their, um, uh, uh, their instant reception, their instant dumping of, of what is solid and what's true for some fancy uh, dressed and fancy talking uh, teacher that would teach another gospel. So he had, he expresses worry, he encourages them, he gives them some commands, and then he gives them an intense warning. And we're at the warning stage here. Uh, and last week, or last time, a couple, uh, about almost four weeks ago, we began Paul's warning. If you go to Colossians chapter 2, and look at verse 4 and look at verse 8, Colossians 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, and this I say, I'm telling you all this, he says, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Look at verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Uh, run down to uh, verse um, 18. Let no man beguile you. So he's, he's warning them that there are hustlers out there. There are people um, that will that are out there to trick you and take advantage of you. So... Let's go back to verse 7, because I want you to see Paul starts from a position of strength. He starts from a position of, this is who you have to be before you can go into battle. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, actually verse 6, if you will. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. So who is he writing to? The general public? Only those who receive Jesus Christ. He's talking to Christians, and he says, as you have received 
Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk, so live ye in him. And he says how to live. He says rooted, built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So how does a, a, a strong, vibrant, stable Christian is rooted? That means deeply anchored in Christ. Now, if you smile tonight, I can see teeth. I hope they're all real. But I don't see all that there are to your teeth. Your teeth have something that's invisible. It's called roots. If you didn't have roots to your teeth, they'd be falling out. It'd be awful. You'd have no teeth. So thank God for roots on your teeth. Uh, trees go along. And we saw with the, with uh, Orphelia, the... Uh, uh, the storm that came through, we saw a lot of trees all knocked over. And what did you notice about those trees? That when they fell over, there were no roots under them. So normally, when you look at a tree, there's more to the tree than what you can see. There are roots. And there ought to be more to you, Bill, than what I can see. You ought to, there ought to be some deep roots in your life that go deep into your relationship with Jesus Christ, into your faith in Him. Do you know weeds? you know why we hate pulling weeds? Because they have roots. They have, they are, they are resilient. You just start pulling stuff up and they just keep going and going and going. It's the root system that helps them to survive. There's no reason why a lot of Christians, uh, uh, get through, um, life is because they have rooted their life. And when I talk about rooted, deeply anchored in Christ, we're talking about a person who deeply searches and learns and lives by the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. I mean deeply, not superficial. Um, uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, go, uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians, back to the left, chapter 2, verse 9. Familiar scripture, but maybe might encourage you in your own Bible study. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You couldn't imagine. You couldn't humanly imagine. You couldn't dream. You couldn't design what God has has figured out. Verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the what? He searches the deep things of God. And you ought to search it too. When you're reading your Bible, you ought to ask questions. You ought to get in deep. Get in there and say, I wonder where this goes. I wonder what this is. I wonder where, what, what is this going on? And that anchors you. You know, uh, I teach the Bible Institute and one of the subjects is, is theology. Another one of the subjects is soteriology. Another one's harmardiology. Another one is eschatology. What are all those words? They are words that deal with who God is, what the church is, what sin is. All of these things are the deep things of God. And they, listen, if you don't learn that, when storms come through, you'll quit. So get rooted, deeply anchored in truth. Uh, there's a great study in, in learning the, the, what are called the types, T-Y-P-E-S, the types or the symbols, the, uh, the figures of the Bible. When, when, um, uh, Phineas held up a pole that Moses had made, and it had a brass serpent on there. It was a type, it was a symbol of who? It was a symbol of Christ being be, becoming sin for us and being judged. 
And when you study these things and you see the tabernacle, how it was laid out, and it is the design of multiple things. It is design of the human soul. It is a design. It lays out what the universe is like. When you study these, these types, that's getting in, that's rooting yourself in the word of God and in truth. Now he goes on and he says we are to be grounded back to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 23. And I like these words. Again, I, I have so much to say. I can't spend too long. But I thought this stuff was very good <clears throat> uh, to sort of bring up tonight. Gr- grounded, uh, um, chapter 1, verse 23, it says this, If you continue in the faith, how? Two words, grounded and settled. Now, grounded is a, uh, is a uh, builder's term. If you're going to build a house, you ground the house. What do you think that means? Hmm? You're actually, you're putting it, with its foundation, you're putting it in the ground, not on the ground. You're grounding it so that it doesn't move. Amen. And you need to be grounded. <clears throat> Folks, I watch two kinds of people in, in my Christian, my Christian life. I've watched two kinds of people, uh, in, encounter the Bible or in the Bible. They learn some things in the Bible, but the more they, they get into the Bible, what happens is the more they change. They flip from doctrine to another doctrine to another church to another church. And they're, they're never grounded. They're ever learning and never able to come to the truth. I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't, I know this is called, this is going to be bragging. <clears throat> but the, 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 the first, I would say the first three years of my Christian life, uh, I think I read the Bible through five times in those first three years. And in those first three years, I wrote out word for word, Nine or ten books of the Bible. Job, Hebrews, Acts, Matthew, Exodus, and I started Genesis. And I, 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 I read everything I could. I, when I went soul winning and somebody would throw me a question, I met a lot of different, in America you deal with a lot of different religions, and I had somebody throw a question at me or they would say something and I would jot it down in a notebook and I'd go back and I says, I'm not going to be stumped by this. The point is this. What I learned in my first three years as a Christian, I still learn to this day. I still know to this day. I haven't changed. Um, when I went to Bible college, I learned a lot of things that sort of topped off and fixed some things around the edges. But you know, when I went to Bible college, I didn't learn to doubt the Bible. I didn't learn to, to, uh, uh, to change the Bible. I didn't learn that I'm supposed to adjust the worship style to accommodate the culture. I wasn't going to go there. What I learned about what Christianity was, I got in the first several years of my salvation, and I have not sought ever to change. I don't, I don't know if you consider that bragging, but I think it's important for me to say that every couple of years, I don't find a new fad. I don't find a new doctrinal fad. I don't find a new thing that I want to now teach or preach. I just keep preaching the same stuff, and I keep loving it. So, when you get grounded, it will save you a lot of heartache. That doesn't mean that you know it all, but I tell you what, the things that I learned, I learned that that book is the preserved word of God in the English language. It is never to be changed. If I don't understand it, it means I'm stupid, not God. So I never 
the things I, 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 I learned uh, that, that, that Jesus Christ was coming back before the tribulation, I got every, the, the new books that were coming out by Marv Rosenthal on the mid-tribulation and the post-tribulation rapture. I read those things. I devoured book after book, underlining, going back to my Bible, and I went, nope, he's coming before. He's coming before the tribulation ever occurs. Do you know what? That was settled in my, fifth, my, my, my third year in Bible college. And I've never doubted it ever since. I've read more stuff about it, and I've checked, but I've not made one change. What am I saying about that? I'm saying I got grounded. I wanted to be grounded. I have watched of the, of the 600 people that was in my Bible college, and the 600 people, when I graduated, that was when I started, when I graduated after four years, there were 170 of us that graduated. I know of probably 20 who are still in the ministry. That is nothing to brag about. But I'll tell you this, a majority of them uh, that, that they got into, we got to have the drums, we've got to have this, we've got to have that, we've got to drop these standards, we've got to, we got to go with, the, with the, the, the new programs. Let me tell you, you need to be grounded so you don't constantly change. The more you get in that book, you're not going to become a Calvinist, you're not going to become a mid or a post-tribulator. The more you get in that book, the more you're going to get grounded in what's right. And you're not going to let new YouTubers and jerks with, I'm not going to say, no, all the new YouTubers are, are all um, uh, wise, bearded, uh, philosophical guys. Run from them, man. Run. Get your Bible and learn it yourself. Learn it, man. Grounded. Um, settled. You know, when you, when you, you ever notice in a house, now most of these builders, like there's some settling here. But you, know, you build a house and you set it up there and there's some settling that always happens in a house. You don't, don't, don't think that, well, pastor said it and I believe it. Well, okay, all right. But you know, when you, when you learn something, you may shake it down and it may be settled and adjusted a little bit, but you need to be settled. You need to be settled. Are you saved? Nobody should be able to come along there and says, have you lost your salvation? Uh, could, can you lose your salvation? Uh, are you living it? Uh, my my Christianity went through all of that, and as a matter of fact, I'll say this again. When I say some of these things, it is for the benefit that you you can get to this place, where I've never doubted my salvation one day of my life. I've never doubted. I know some people do. I know some people struggled with it, and I'm not I'm not finding fault with you at all. But let me just say this: you need to settle. Are you saved or not? You need to settle it. You need to save that. You need to settle that Jesus saved. You need to settle that that book is all you need to know God and to worship God and to love God and live for God. Amen. You need to settle those things. This is what you go into spiritual warfare with. You go with a rooted life in Christ, not, not in religion. Grounded, settled, and it goes on, established in the faith. It's not DIY faith, it's the faith, by the way. You're learning what, what Jesus said. You're learning... His faith, and then built upon the foundation of the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, um, Colossians two eight. Uh, sorry, what was it? What did I read? Two seven says. No, I'm in two two seven. It says, uh, "Rootedness, established in the faith, has been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving." The the point you're you're. All of this is built upon the work of Jesus Christ. I'm not building upon my good works. I'm building. On his perfect work. I, anything I do, I'm doing it standing on him. 
I'm doing it trusting Him. So, and by the way, I didn't include this, but you ought to be most thankful person on this planet. You ought to be abounding therein with thanksgiving. So grateful. And that'll make you like a castle. Uh, we, we are, we are um, uh, in a battle. And we're not just in a battle with demonic oppression, folks. We're in a battle with doctrinal um, uh, disagreements and, and doctrinal uh, uh, fights and things. There are things that just, like every wind of doctrine coming at us, in this, I, I, thought, I thought I had seen it all. Uh, but with the YouTube and with uh, the Internet and everything, I have never heard such crazy stuff. I thought I'd heard it all. But there's just weird, weird stuff out there, folks. Uh, I, I've got to hide somewhere, so I hide in a castle. So, now, even so, with all of that, Paul says, beware. He tells Christians to be on guard. He actually says it 20, well, he and Jesus say it 26 times throughout the New Testament alone. He says, beware of false prophets. Beware of men. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of the scribes. Beware of covetousness. Beware of dogs. Now, I should be bear, beware of cats, I believe. Anyway, no. Well, he says dogs, dogs who are trying to influence Christianity. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision, which is the Jewish cult. Beware lest any man spoil you. Beware lest being led away with the air of the wicked you fall from your own steadfastness. Over and over and over we're told to beware. So let's define what beware is. To beware of something means to be very aware, with all eyes open, to be sensitive to the surroundings, weary of it, not weary like tired, but wary of it, I should say better, wary of it, very cautious, to not toy with, the danger, to avoid, to take care. A lot of, a lot of things in thinking about being aware, aware. So, Paul has a threefold warning here in, in this chapter. And the first one is to beware of being beguiled. It says, I, I, you've got to be careful that you're not tricked, deceived, or the modern Irish would be snookered uh, of, of, what you, of the treasures that you have in Christ. Secondly, Beware of being spoiled or robbed or mugged uh, spiritually. And then thirdly, of being manipulated. And uh, uh, this chapter is just chock-a-lock full of warning. So, let's start off over here on what can, we can be robbed of so much that we have in Christ. Um, uh, this is actually in the opposite of what I want to, um, let me, Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll just stick with the program here. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. All right. Um, Brother Bill, would you read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, please? It's in the New Testament. <laughs> Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, Brother Dan, I'll start. <laughs> He'll find it here in a few minutes. Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Okay, so how many spiritual blessings do I have? I have all that there is. Okay, now here's the truth. Somebody can rob you of them. That's what he's talking about, to be spoiled of it. Now we talk, we use the wrong use of it. We say a child is spoiled, but we're talking about the spoils of war. We're talking about being robbed or mugged. Um, uh, James 1.17, Kathy. Variableness. Okay, so every good thing in my life came from where? All right, and he doesn't change. So he's a, there's a constant pouring of blessings on my life. Now sometimes I'm not unaware of them, or sometimes I don't think that they're blessings. But any good thing in my life came from him. And the the, the question is, or the the concern is, I can be robbed of them. Now. A Christian can actually be robbed of just about everything you possess in Christ. That's a scary thought. It's possible to lose just about, lose just about everything Christ gave you at salvation, except for salvation itself. First of all, he gave you abundant life. He gave you abundant life. Uh, uh, John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, and I can't remember the first word, uh, the thief cometh, not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you may have life and that more abundant. So when you got saved, you really started living. That was when you started living. And that abundant life, you can trade in for the old life you left when you got saved. And you really imagine what a sorry exchange that is. And yet too many Christians explore, go back, and they play with those things that they, they, they turn their back on when they got saved, and they go back to it, and they find that that abundant life, that simple joy, the clear conscience, the, 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 the life that they got when they got saved, it's not there anymore. They're soiled. They're all messed up. Like the kid, you get dressed for church, and they're all dressed up, and it's raining outside, and you get ready to go outside, and they go out, and they see a puddle, and they go... <laughs> and they're covered in, in muck again. And then they're all, it's all ruined. And a Christian finds himself messing around with that old sin again, and you can change. Your life is miserable. Life is not abundant like it used to be. Uh, and I, I hate that. I, I, think, I think the devil's just, he should be powerless against Christians. And yet Paul says, beware of him because he'll rob you of that abundant life you had, that joy you had when you first got saved. Don't let him rob it. Uh, Kingdom Raid, go to 2 Peter 1. Gavin, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. Now Jesus had a day where he was walking along, he had his disciples, and the mother of two of his disciples came up to Jesus and said, I got a, I got a request of you. Jesus says, what would you like? She says, in, I would like for my two sons to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left hand. <laughs> and I mean, what an embarrassing thing for two men to have their mother asking for them. 
Must have been humiliating. Where else they asked her to ask him, I don't know. But the point is, we actually do have places in God's kingdom. There's an entrance, there's an open, there's an opportunity for me to serve and to be in a place. Right now I have a great place of ministry. But in the future kingdom, I have a, I have a potential place and I can forfeit it. I can blow it. I can be talked out of living for the Lord and turn around and live for myself and then I lose the respect of, of God and he says, can't use you now. You can blow it, can't you? Kingdom reigns. How about the power of God? Ephesians 3.20. Now, Bill, you better have found Ephesians <laughs> by now. Ephesians 3.20. <clears throat> That's the mighty power. But I can forfeit his power. First John calls it his anointing. Scary thing to think that God could have his hand on you, using you, and then sin, um, your, your life choices, and God's power says, I'm not wasting my power on you. You can forfeit the power of God. That ought to scare us. You can forfeit the Almighty Son of God defending you. Now, this is a great thought. If Hebrews ten or seven twenty five, Patrick, Hebrews seven twenty five. All right, so he's our mediator, he's our intercessor, but there is, uh, if I, Jesus says this, he says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. That doesn't mean that he will deny knowing you, but he'll deny your request. He'll actually not protect you from the attack of Satan. Now, he shows that he sometimes allows Satan to get right at you through the book of Job, doesn't he? He the Lord says, have Adam. Now, Job was a good guy. Job was trying to serve God, and the Lord wanted to prove a point about the character of Job. But do you realize that when I, when I believe a lie, when I believe the devil's lie, or the world's lie, or even my own self-designed lie, he who intercedes for me steps back and says, the devil, I guess he wants you more than he wants me. Not that the devil can possess me or own me, but he can sure ruin my life. And he does. So, I want the Son of God defending me, not getting out of the way saying, well, I guess you don't want me. I guess I have to step back and let... The point is, the Lord will let me learn the consequences of my choices. The Lord allows that to happen. That ought to scare us. How about the full presence of the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 7, verse 37, Marcus. John 7, 37. Thirty-seven down to thirty-nine. Thank you. 
So when he spoke of taking a drink, he said, if you take a drink, and he actually told this to the woman at the well too. He said, the water that I give unto you will end up being what? A well springing up within your soul. Meaning that, take a drink, you get the well, and the well is actively overflowing. And here's the fear. Here's the concern. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. That you can miss that. You can lose the filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5. Brother Paul, Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Bless you. Now, maybe you don't notice it, but that verse is written to Christians, and what is Paul telling them not to do? That's right. Don't be not drunk with wine, because it's always excessive. Don't be filled with that stuff, because Christians can turn back to drink, can't they? And if you turn to drink, there's no way on earth you could ever be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what should you desire, and what should you protect? The filling of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, and you'd never take another drink if you knew it would cost you the fullness. It will not cost you the presence of the Holy Spirit, but, it will, but He will quiet down, He will back up, and He will let your whole life empty out when you, when you seek to and you yearn to be filled with Him. How about the fullness of joy? John 15, 11. Weston, John 15, 11. What I'm doing here is I'm showing you the treasures that a Christian possesses, and this is no way... Uh, uh, exhaustive. I'm not giving you all of them. Uh, I think probably we could go uh, and make maybe 40 or 50. I'm only, I'm only showing you like 12 or 13 or 15 of them. Uh, these are treasures. Go ahead. Joy. 1511. Full. So he's saying, I want your joy to be full, but I can't make your joy to be full. You've got to want it to be full. And you can, as a Christian, you can decide, I don't want to be full of joy today. I want to be full of fun. And then after a few weeks, you look around and say, why am I so miserable? Because you lost the joy. Uh, Beth, you're still John. John chapter 14, verse 27. And there's not a person on this planet doesn't wish that they had this verse in their life. John 14, 27. So whose peace is the offering? Uh, that's, that's the best peace ever. And I have access to it, but I can lose it. I can, I can forfeit it. You know, a person who, who, who misses the peace that passes understanding ends up with a soul that's in war and in constant defeat. You know, I don't think you want that. How about a new mind? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, Kevin, did I skip you? Sorry about that. First Timothy, or Second Timothy, one seven. Second Timothy, one seven. Second Timothy, one seven. 
All right. You know, it's, this is the point. Just because you're saved doesn't mean that you can't make stupid decisions and believe false doctrines and mess with your head so that you end up losing uh, God not given spirit, uh, but, uh, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You lose the power of the Holy Ghost, the love of God, and the sound mind, and all you end up in is a mental hospital, living in fear, paranoia, stuff. You say, are they saved? Yeah, they're just as saved as you are. They just made some wrong choices. And they lost it. They lost those treasures that they had. What does God say? Does God say when you, now that I'm saved, I'm saved 30, what did I say, 32 years. No, 37 years. I'm married 32 years. Um, in 37 years, God does not tell me, get a new mind. We studied it several weeks ago. Romans 12, 2 says, Renew my mind. So I can lose my mind, <laughs> but I have to get it back. I just need to renew it. But I definitely want to be careful of not losing the sanity and the new mind that I got when I got saved. How about the purity of life? 1 John 3, Brother Barry. 1 John 3, 3. You know, there's something about having a clean life. There is a power that comes from having victory over sin. You never get to the place where you say, I have no sin. But, you know, it's just nice to have all those habitual sins and those habitual thoughts and the, 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 uh, the, the things that just made your life miserable. Have a victory over it. Amen. Don't sell that out. That is a priceless treasure to have purity of life. And anybody who ever gets married, and you stand up there behind that bride, behind that bride, beside that bride, or the bride beside her husband there, you know what they want? They want somebody who's all for them. And that it's a pure life. And it's not, I wouldn't want to eat a half-eaten hamburger, would you? No. I want the whole thing fresh off the, fresh off the grill. And when you, when you have a relationship with somebody, they're expecting that you're pure. Amen. God, He made you clean when you got saved. How about keeping it that way? Let's keep it that way. Purity of life. And yet the world wants to soil up our thoughts, soil up every image you see, you'll remember for the rest of your life. Think about that. Um, things that you do, things you go through, be nice to protect those memories. How about a sensitivity towards the Holy Spirit? Now, this is important. Go to Galatians 4, 6. And Nathan, Galatians 4, 6. All right, I'm going to say something really deep. But there's something that happens when a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit comes into our life, right? And most people have never sensed, never had a sensitivity to His presence. How do you know His presence? You feel unholy. You feel like Isaiah. You feel unclean. And yet you know there's a presence there. And, and you never want to lose the sensitivity to where the Holy Spirit, when He speaks with that still, small voice, 
And he cries out, Abba, Father. God's not this God way far away. The Holy Spirit cries in your heart saying, He's my Father. He's my Abba. Almost like saying He's my Daddy. And He doesn't scream it, but He's crying it in our heart. And we ought to be sensitive to it and sense when the Holy Spirit's saying, Don't say that. Don't look there. Don't, don't think that. We never want to lose that sensitivity. But we are robbed of it. There have been times where we as Christians have gone for weeks and we've not once missed the presence and the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it ought to just scare us that, what did I exchange? What did I, what did I trade for this sweet presence of God in my life? How about our confidence in Christ? First John, sorry, First Thessalonians 1.5, Mona, First Thessalonians 1.5. All right. Paul says, when we came, we didn't just come in word only. We proved what we were saying was true. And you got assurance that what we were saying would work. And it worked for you. And it was, it was awesome to you. And you, you had confidence. You ought to keep that confidence. You start losing. You wonder, people do this all the time. They say, I wonder if I prayed right. I wonder if I believed right. I wonder if... I wonder, you know, and, and we, we second-guess everything. Now, there's some things you have to check, all right, and you ask yourself. But if the devil's taken away your confidence that's in Christ, who saves? Your prayer doesn't save you. Your attending church doesn't save you. You looked unto Christ, and you, like a child, just ugh, trusted him, and you know that he saves. And your confidence is in his ability, not yours. But when, a, when there are cults out there, and there are religions out there that say, are you keeping the Sabbath? Have you, uh, um, you know, have you, have you renounced Satan? Have you done all these stupid things? And you go, I just believed on Christ. And my confidence is in Him. Don't let anybody rob you of Him being your confidence. Um, I got too much to say. Let me just, Philippians 4.19. And I forgot your name. Do you want to, would you like, uh, uh, yeah. Do you want to read or uh, I'll go to Sinead. Sinead, do you want to read? You forgot your Bible. Martin, you're up. Uh, Philippians 4.19. I, I, I never want to get to the place where the Lord's not meeting my needs. I always want to just say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. I just trust you for my daily needs. I don't want to ever trade his supply for the government or his supply for human supply. I don't want to trade it because that's where most Christians live. They couldn't, they couldn't be joyful if they didn't have the government taking care of them. Now, Matthew 24, 35. Canista, you want to try? Matthew 24, 35. Want her testimony awesome this morning? Still using that word. I don't know how to stop using awesome. I'm sorry. <laughs> Matthew 24, 35. 
Too many people have tried to convince me King James Bible needs to be replaced, needs to be retranslated, needs to be updated. Uh, no, I'm not going to trade in his words. I'm not going to trade them in. Folks, I'm just telling you, we have, what do we have? We have the mind of God expressed in human words. We have the heart of God. We have the will of God. And somebody comes along with cheap substitute, I wouldn't trade it. Wouldn't trade it. Not at all. I've read the NIV. Uh, the new version that's out there is called the ESV, the English Standard Version. They don't compare. So don't let them. And it goes on. I mean, I could go on. I could say, think about our families. Some floozy. What the? Uh, you know what a floozy is? Some some harlot. Some uh, uh, some winking girl come along and convince you to trade your wife who stuck with you through thin and thin, giving you your children, and some winking girl get you to trade your family. It happens all the time. Yeah. I would never. you got to be careful. Paul said, beware, which means it'll happen to you if you don't take care, if you don't stop toying with some of those sins. How about, uh, how about our church? Oh, our church is doing fine. Are you sure? You know, uh, uh, what do I want to say? A church is only as strong as the commitment of its people. And when you think, oh, everybody else will take care of it, that's what everybody else is going to think too. And, and the devil will get you to convince you, uh, to, to believe that you don't need to be in church. You don't need to be uh, um, soul winning. You don't need to be there on, I'm talking to the choir. You don't need to be there on Sunday nights. You don't need to be there at prayer meeting. And what is he doing? He's getting you to trade what we have for a couch, for a TV program. And for, I don't know what all goes on. Trading, I wouldn't trade it. How about your health? You know, some of us are down the road. We, we like our health. Used to be, we didn't care about it. I used to, uh, man, I used to drink coffee all day long. Did you used to do that? Still do, I know. <laughs> I'm telling you what, man, after a while I went, I'm going to die. That heart's beating 400 times a minute. i got to lay off. I love living. I, I want to stay around. I don't want to trade my health for hospitals. Amen. Maybe Dan will take this to heart. I don't know. How about your testimony? You know, people at work, they think highly of you. If ever you let slip some curse word, some filthy word, some filthy joke, you've lost your testimony. It's for a moment of anger. It's a moment where I just wanted to tell them what I thought. Now, two things we can't be uh, robbed of. Two things. You can't be robbed of eternal life or else it ain't eternal. Amen? Don't go into this thing of, well, can't you lose your salvation? Well, God's not a very good Savior if you can lose it. Because I didn't earn it. And I didn't, didn't do anything to get it. And I can do nothing to lose it. Amen? You can't lose eternal life. And secondly, you can't really lose your relationship with God. And let me clarify that. You can be robbed of your closeness to God. You can let things come between you. And you know what God calls that? Anything that comes between you and Him is an idol. You can be robbed of your closeness with God, but not your relationship to God. He is, and always will be from now on, your Heavenly Father. We are sons and daughters. We're in the Beloved, Paul calls. 
If we could be robbed of our adoption, then there's no legal standing in heaven for anything that God says. If you can be robbed of that adoption that you've been brought into, yet I know Christians who believe they've blown it with God. Well, I blew it. You know what I found that to be? I used to get worried about it. I thought people would say, I think I lost my salvation. I think I blew it. I got worried about it. I tried to show them the Bible. I tried to teach them. And they all walk away and I go, they wanted an excuse for their sin. They wanted me to say, well, I prefer my sin to, to prayer. And I prefer my sin and my lifestyle to living right. I just prefer that. And they say, uh, I lost my salvation. That's convenient. And no amount of doctrine is going to help them. A uh, chastening hand of God will help them. Amen. I've learned that. I get so bothered by people who tell me, oh, I don't think I'm saved. You're just as saved as I am, church. You just want to live in sin. Amen. And they don't, they don't think anything of it. And you can blow your relationship, your closeness, to, you can blow your closeness to God. Uh, I've actually, I, I know some guys, I have a good friend of mine, his name is Dan too, but not this Dan. Dan, what was his name? He's in Bible college. Oh, Dan Chase. Dan Chase. Dan Chase has been saved <laughs> more times than you can count on your fingers and your toes. And what happened is he struggled with sin. He struggled with addiction. And he kept thinking, I just got to get saved again. I got to get saved again. I got saved. I just tell you this, folks. He just missed the closeness of God. And he didn't know how to get close back to God. So he thought, if I just got saved again, I'd get close. And it just, he burned out. He didn't go on for God. And he still, to this day, I haven't talked to him in probably 10 years, but he's still, still at the bottom. That's a shame. He was robbed. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you say, well, that never happened to me. Beware. Beware. And that's it. There are two things you can't lose. Eternal life and the fact that you're related to God. You're a son or a daughter of God. Everything else that God gives us since our salvation can be dropped by us, can be exchanged for, for lesser things can be trashed. We can sell it to the highest bidder and we can forfeit it. That's what Paul is warning us of. I have to stop. I have to stop. I'll stop with this thought. Satan capitalizes on the fact that most Christians do not know what they have in Christ. They don't even know all the treasures they have. They only think they're saved. They only look forward to a future, maybe, hope so, kind of salvation. I wonder what it's going to be. And so they're willing to trade off something that they don't have for something they can get right now. The pleasures of sin for a season. You have no idea what, what, what we have in Christ. And so the, Satan capitalizes on ignorance of Christians of what they have in Christ and the ignorance of the Scripture. Ignorance of the Scripture. So I've got to stop. There's tons, tons more. Any questions? Any questions? At Christmas, you're looking for something, looking for a new watch, looking for a gift or whatever. Never forget, you're one blessed person in Christ. We have all spiritual blessings in Christ. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the fact that we got to come to church. We get to. But really, we want to. 
and you ought to because you're worthy. I wish I could stir people. Maybe it's just, it's just this way. People who are here need to want to be here. I'm glad they do. I wish that others would see what lesser things they've treated or, or treated out for the good things of a, of a place to worship like church. I wish that people would stop worrying about investing in, in Bitcoin and stock markets and they'd worry about investing in souls in heaven. So, Lord, tonight, thank you for warning us, reminding us just how much you blessed us. I thank you for, for the Bible. Lord, most of all, I wouldn't know any of this, wouldn't have any way of knowing you if you didn't take the first step to try to communicate with me. Thank you. I love you. I ask that you dismiss us with all grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>